Welcome back to another edition of the Tuttle Daily Podcast. Hope you guys are enjoying today's show. But uh, I've been very, very interested in my next guest, Dr. Mike. Uh, his, his last name, I, and, and I'm sure he's going to tell you when I have him on, but Dr. Mike, uh, I've been looking forward to this because, you know, I've dealt with a lot of my mental issues, you know, that I uh, tried to harm myself last September. And I wanted to have Dr. Mike on. Dr. Mike, how are you? Are you there, Dr. Mike? Yeah, how are you doing? And uh, happy Thanksgiving to all your viewers. And hopefully everybody is both COVID and internet safe. Thank you. Now, Dr. Mike, where, where are you located at right now? I'm actually in the beautiful metropolitan area of Brooklyn. Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah, I've been to, I've been to New York a couple of times. Uh, I, I interviewed for some jobs up there, but... I mean, it, it got pretty bad up there with uh, COVID-19 uh, for a little while, didn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, Brooklyn happened to be of the five different boroughs of New York City. Brooklyn happened to be one of, if not the epicenter for the original start of uh, COVID. Um, mm -hmm. You did have Westchester County, you know, uh, a little bit uh, north of here, but Brooklyn was, in there, was considered one of the epicenters. So, yeah. Now, Dr. Mike, let, let, let me give you a little bit of a background. Uh, I am a, a victim of childhood trauma as well. Um, and, you know, the day and age, I graduated high school in 98, and everybody dealt with bullying, okay? But when we were graduating, the new age of the internet and, and, and what we know today has kind of changed the game when it comes to bullying and people taking advantage of people online. Um, can, you, can you talk a little bit about how people and, and what's happening to people right now when it comes to being online? Well, you, you bring up, a, and thank you for starting off the interview talking about bullying slash cyberbullying. Uh, that is one of the, the typologies of iPredator, which is the concept I wrote back in 2010 which happens to include eight types of online aggressor, the cyberbully or cyberbullying happens to be one of them. The best way to explain it, and you kind of already mentioned it, I'm 55 years old. When I was growing up in a pre-information age world, as we know, they say the information age world began around the early 80s, and it didn't re really become enveloping to all of us until like 2010. But when I was a kid and I was bullied, I was bullied in school, in the sports field, in the local parks, and not in my neighborhood. But the difference is when I was bullied, at the end of it, I could leave, I could go home, I had sanctuary. I could go back to my, my neighborhood, my family, and friends. Well, thanks to the information age today, children are not only bullied, but when it comes to cyberbullying, they can no longer escape. They don't have a sanctuary. So they are essentially uh, targeted 24-7-365. Now, Dr. Mike, I, I, I want to ask you, um, how much of this is the responsibility of parents monitoring what is going on? Are, are kids the, most, uh, the biggest and highest percentage of people that are getting taken advantage of online? Well, no, I, of the eight typologies of a predator, and I can say them quickly if you, if you want me to give them to you. Yeah, please, please. Well, okay, so iPredator, predator, as I said, is a 
A cyber psychology online aggressor concept. As I said, I wrote it back originally in 2010, and it presents eight types of online aggression or online aggressor. So as we've already discussed, so you have cyber bullies, cyber harassers, cyber stalkers, cyber criminals, internet trolls, cyber terrorists, and then to me, the worst of the worst, the online child predators and the most evil of them all, not to get uh, religious, is the online child pornography uh, consumer and distributor. Mm -hmm. So those eight types make up I predator. Now, now let, let me ask you, though, back to what I was saying uh, before about how much does this fall upon parents making sure that their kids aren't getting into trouble or 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 making themselves victims? I, I hate to say making themselves victims, but um, opening themselves up to be taken advantage of. Well, as we live in the information, as all of your, your, your viewers and listeners know, is that we have become enveloped by information and communication technology. So not only the parents living their perceptual world and their waking life world online, so are their children. So are parents responsible for their children being targeted? Um, it's a hard question to call. Uh, we all are at the beginning of a period of history, which we are calling the information age. Goodness yeah. gracious, what, 40 years maybe? You know, mm -hmm. And if, if everything continues, the next step of information age is virtual reality. And as we all are astonished by, is artificial intelligence. So the parent is responsible only in that if they aren't taking a proactive approach by being open with their children and talking about it, but to assume, and you know, Tuttle, I have for the last 10 years after working on the weekends, I have volunteered helping the cyber attack. I do that today. In fact, today after work, I help two folks. So to assume that parents know what their children are doing online is laughable. The prepubescent child, 10 to 14, um, they tell their parents a little bit about what's going on. But once the child goes through puberty, going to your parent, a teacher, an adult is not only considered uncool, but it is not developmentally part of what they're going through. So to assume that a parent's going to know what's going on is preposterous. They now, 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 Dr. Mike, though, like what can parents tell their kids to look out for? Like, I mean, you know, like I said, if if you want to be informed as a parent, because I know because I read your website, it talks about everything. But I think that more than kids reading uh, your information, I think parents can learn more from that. What do parents need to tell their kids to look out for where they don't become a victim of of what you're talking about. Well, thank you again. I should send you a marketing check. One of the ideas that I have is called Digital Dinner, where a parent or primary caregiver gets pizza, let's say every Wednesday, Tuttle, me, you, mom and dad. Every Wednesday we get pizza and we sit down. And with the concept of digital dinner, the parent or the primary caregiver has to essentially I don't want to say play stupid, but acts ignorant to what's going online. So let's say you're my child, Mr. Tuttle. So 
You know, you're mm-hmm. spending time on Snapchat. What is that all about? You know me, I'm working all the time. And it's creating a forum during digital dinner where the parent is kind of naive to what's going online. And essentially, the goal is to, if I may say, positively manipulate the child into becoming the teacher. And by sitting back, not passing judgment, and beginning to learn, that's number one. Number two, it is setting boundaries, having, you know, how how much time is a child allowed to be online? Um, as we know, we are in the heyday of mobile device. So children are carrying around social media in their pockets, you know, every day as they go out. So there's no longer, which maybe 10, 15 years ago, a parent could set up the desktop in the middle of the in, of the home. Well, that mm-hmm. no longer can be done because now- Because it's all done mobile. Everything is mobile now. Most of the traffic you're seeing online is mobile phones. Exactly, exactly. Now, all right. So like I said before, when I when I started this off, and, and please don't think I'm being insensitive because I'm a victim of childhood trauma. I was bullied in school. Um, one of the things that I see, because I'm a big, big uh, proponent of the First Amendment, Words, words. I mean, I know you can't go into a movie theater and and yell fire and a bunch of people die because of a stampede and stuff like that. Um, but but what I'm trying to ask you here is that you know everybody's wondering why paparazzi following around celebrities. How is that not stalking or or going or being a predator trying to get their pictures? But by law, it says you're pitting yourself out there. You're in the public spotlight. Now, with social media nowadays, I'm not pitting people that are on social media at the same level as celebrities like actors, sports athletes, whatever it made, musicians. Um, aren't you kind of opening yourself up for that type of stuff when you join say, a Twitter, a Facebook, Instagram, and such? I First and foremost, Tuttle, I am a, a big proponent of the First Amendment. Um, but when you join social media, uh, clearly it's what you share. Information, living in the information age, there is only three ways us humans, until maybe uh, you know artificial intelligence matures a little bit, you can disseminate information, you can compile information, and you can exchange information with others. It's the only three ways you can deal with information. Mm-hmm. And it is the type of information and what you communicate online that not only is going to, not that it matters, make you popular or not, but it's also going to increase your probability of being attacked. So mm-hmm. most importantly, I, I educate as silly as it may seem, people take videos, they take images that they post online, and what they don't realize is looking over their right shoulder, they can see the number. I have you know, seen where people have actually street signs right over their shoulder, and we need to understand out there in cyberspace, not only is it huge like an ocean, but there are eye predators, cyber mm-hmm. criminals that are looking to compile data. Hey, now, I, I'm sorry, now, Dr. 
Now, now, Dr. Mike, I'm, I'm sorry. I just thought of something. It's the way my brain works. So not a lot of people know this, but um, do you suggest, because a lot of the smartphones nowadays uh, share location services, okay? Like a lot of people are not aware when you take a picture, uh, your data of time, day, and where that picture was taken Right. Uh, is available if you don't turn those types of services off. Do you think that is a dangerous, slippery slope that these smartphone uh, providers, uh, creators, producers, whatever you want to call them, why, why is that something that they even thought would be a good idea to include in, in photos and digital uh, content? Well, I mean, I mean, Tuttle, if I'm in the middle of Central Park, then, you know, obviously I couldn't care less that you know my location, you know my longitude and latitude if I'm in the middle of the, you know, AGNC. But if I'm in my apartment here in downtown Brooklyn and yeah. you're able to see my location, you're able to equate who, where I am, not to say that a cyber criminal is going to be hacking me 10 minutes later, but it is a tidbit of information. Is that something that a lot of people don't know, though? Like when you take a picture, if you don't turn your location services off, that people can actually see where you're at when you took the picture? Is that is that something? I, I don't know if you even know that information. Most certainly. It, it, it's understanding. And again, one of the subconcepts of iPredator, the fancy acronym I came up with is called ODOR. Offline distress dictates online response. And what basically that I'm saying is that the way my offline life is going is going to have a direct impact about not only what do I interpret online, but how I behave online. So if I'm stressed out, I'm angry, and let's say normally I would turn off the location aspect of my mobile device. Well, if I'm half in the bag from drinking three glasses of scotch, or I just had a, an argument with my wife. I just may not know to turn it off. So it's understanding that we have to be not hypervigilant, but we have to practice basic online safety. In fact, I think it should be compulsory in all schools across the country. It, it, so, so you're almost saying that should, uh, you know, back in the day, everybody was like, well, you got to learn shop, home ec, agriculture and stuff. <laughs> Do you think they need to start offering classes Most about the Internet now? Most certainly when I was in school, again, I'm 55, is, you know, I had to take wood shop and middle class. What I believe there should be because children today, we're all living in the information age and going forward, we think we as a, as a species is enveloped and dependent now. Let's turn the hands of time 10 years from now, 20 years from now, add 10 to 15 years to today's information child they're going to be even more enveloped. And then they are going to have children that are even more enveloped by information technology. So most certainly it needs to be compulsory education in all schools. And what I believe is not only K through 12, but the focus on digital citizenship and how to conduct oneself online. Now, I, I was on your website and and uh, and I don't like I said, I, I don't want you to think that I'm sympathizing 
with the predators and stuff. But you also got to understand we, what are we like 260, 270 year old country here. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we have a lot of laws at the time that don't relate to the technology that we have today. Okay. Um, one of the big stories we talked about a couple of years ago on the radio, uh, and you talked about this a little bit on your website is, uh, people that commit suicide. And and there was this story about uh, a girl, um, I forget her name, but she was talking to her friend, I think maybe even boyfriend, um, and and didn't physically help him, but, you know, kind of egged him on and he ended up committing suicide. Um, I think we're on a little bit of a slippery slope with this. Uh, and I would like to get your thoughts on what needs to be done from our lawmakers and stuff like that when it comes to that. Because if the person is not physically helping them, like, you know, getting the rope to hang themselves or something, but is just using their words. And if it's something that the other person wanted to do or, or, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, do do things need to change? Do our lawmakers need to pass some laws to be able to protect people? Because when it all boils down to it, it's still just speech. Yes, Tuttle. But what I can say, and again, this is where my, my ignorance, my naivete comes into play here. Because what I believe is, and again, I don't want to sound crazy or, you know, like a and I hope, Doctor Doctor Mike, I I hope you don't think I'm trying to sympathize no, no, with, no. with the people. I'm just asking questions from the other side because it is a little bit of a slippery slope. I mean, you would have to agree, right? Of course, I agree, Tuttle. And no, please, I I love you know to be posed questions. I wish we could have Colin, but what I'm saying again, I don't want to be perceived as a lunatic when I say this. But I have written, and I believe that. I know this sounds crazy, is that cyberspace is an extension of human consciousness. If it's not already an extension Mm -hmm. of human consciousness, it's becoming one. So what I'm saying to you is that, and I can't prove it yet, but in the pre-information age offline world, when you and I are walking down the street and I get in your face and I say something nasty, is it going to piss you off? Of course, of course it is. Or let's say I threaten you, is it going to get your ire going? Of course it is. But for some reason, I still don't understand why when it happens online, it seems that the victim, hate to use the word victim, the target responds differently than if it were to occur offline. Um, at, at, for many years, I was afraid. Is it, because, is it because it's out there for everybody to see? Because like, if somebody makes a passing comment to me, I'm the only one that heard it. Is it because that it's out there for anybody to see? That is one aspect. We're social creatures. So the natural, the, the back of my mind first says that others would hear it, but there's something else that's going on and I can't explain it. So of course, when you're getting targeted, harassed, defamed online, there's that passing thought is, is my girlfriend, is my job, who hears or who knows that this is going on? Clearly, intellectually, I know like right now, Either five people could be listening to this podcast 
or 5 million people be listening to this podcast? I hope it's 5 million one day, but no, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, getting, a, I'm getting like six or 7,000 downloads a week. So I'm, I'm well, on my way. Good for you. So, but the point that I'm saying is that is not in my frontal lobe. So although I'm conscious about it, that is not really what I'm thinking about. What I can't understand, and again, after working on the weekends for the last 10 years, I have volunteered providing confidential, you know, no, you know, no strings attacked, confidential help to people that have been attacked. Are you a psychiatrist? I, I read that. You you are a psychiatrist, right? No, I'm not an MD. I'm a PsyD, a doctor of psychology. So I'm a New York State licensed psychology psychologist. Okay. My doctorate degree is from Adler University in Chicago. So, but the point that I'm saying is, is that when I was a forensic psychologist working mm -hmm. in courts, I worked in, you know, civil court, criminal court. Now, now Dr. Mike, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, Can no. you explain what forensic psychologist is to my audience? Sure. Forensic psychologist is a behavioral healthcare professional that, you know, works with the courts and works with not only the courts, but the people that are within the courts and whether it is, you know, being prosecution and helping prosecution. Like I, I, I watch a law, a lot of law and order. So mm -hmm. like, would you be the type of person they would call in? Like if somebody was going for the insanity defense? Well, for Korea, for competency, I, I did a couple of those back when I was young. I've worked in, I've done custody evaluations. When I did criminal evaluations was to assess the level of child molestation, so forth and so on. But the reason why I bring that up is that then and even prior to me learning and, and starting to really study the information aid, I, I knew the pain, the anguish, the rage, both sides, both the aggressor and the victim, and then the, the bystanders, the people that were involved. But now that we live in information age, total, I am telling you, it's more than just me knowing that there are a bunch of other people listening and hearing what you're that you're targeting me. Again, as I said, cyberspace is an extension of human consciousness. And when I believe in a very, uh, I hate that, I, I wish I could go into it, I'm still working on it, is that the digital universe, the network is somehow mimicking and is becoming almost a Xerox copy of our own brain. I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but that is what I think about almost on a daily basis. All right, this this is something that I'm very familiar with, and and I I'm not saying like I consider myself a celebrity, but I, I I've worked in broadcasting for over 22 years. Okay, uh, and when social media came out, you know, everybody's like, yes, this is a great way to be able to promote ourselves, but um, I've been a victim of it. Uh, when I was married, one of one of the biggest like stresses in our family were were people that didn't like things that I said on the air or or whatever it may be. Um, they 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 found out my home address. They were they were calling my wife. Yeah. They were they they were saying we're gonna come and and get you you know stuff like that. Um, are, are celebrities like, do they get the same protection as regular people? I, I'm, I'm, it was just a curious question that I had. I'm sorry. When you say protection, I, protection, I mean, like, 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 I mean, could it be considered 
type harassment. Of course you can. But I mean, you're putting yourself out there when when you have to go into it, knowing that when you are a celebrity, when you're a movie actor or a sports athlete, you choose to pitch yourself out in the public. Title doxing, which is me. Doxing. I talk about doxing all the time. Right. Well, that is me being able, depending on how proficient I am as a hacker, as what I, you know, an eye predator, if I'm really looking to hurt you, um, I can, you know, pull, you would be shocked the amount of information I can compile about Tuttle just from doing due diligence and spending time using the right software, so forth and so on online. Now, yeah. is that wrong? Yes, it's wrong. Because when you dox people, you are, and this is when we go into the social aspect of the, of the online aggressor, now you get other people are willing to join in. So now they start calling you, they start harassing you. But worse, and you can read what I wrote, is that I introduced the concept of predatory troll. So as many of your listeners know, the internet troll is somebody online who looks to provoke you, that looks to essentially, how do I say this without sounding too much New York, to piss you off. To piss you off. The predatory predatory troll, if I may finish, the predatory Mm -hmm. troll is not only looking to provoke you, but the predatory troll, and oftentimes doesn't in tandem with others, is going after you, your job, your wife, your family, if you're in college, your priest, and goes after every aspect of your life with the sole purpose of character assassination. And so, I, I mean, I've, I've been a victim of predatory then because they 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 tried to like, I mean, um, you know, last September, I um, I I tried to commit suicide. Um, um, I I was on a bad mixture of drugs because, you know, I don't, I don't have insurance. So I would go from one doc. I wasn't doctor shopping or anything. It's just like, I would go to the one doctor that could offer me the best deal and they weren't communicating with each other. And and I got a bad mixture and, and I did that, but you wouldn't believe the amount of, you know, because I tried to hang myself from a ceiling fan. People would like send me pictures of ceiling fans and and all that stuff like that. You know, exactly. and go ahead. If I may, Ted. And again, I'm sorry about what you went through, and hopefully things are okay now. But no, this this has been you, the best year. This it, has it, been. Go if ahead. If I may, Tuttle, think about uh, that. Could you imagine the people that actually sent you images of ceiling fans? Now, and I'm going to I'm not going to use profanity because, you know, I'm trying to stay good. Do they actually think that's funny by sending that to you? Are are these just stone cold psychopaths or are these, you know, young men and women who are getting the proverbial high five from their friends who also enjoy engaging in and being a troll that we don't know. But hopefully with time we can learn about these type of folks because, and I call them I predators. Yeah. No, now see the, the way that I look at it is, and now I'm, I'm a lot different, even though I had that setback and everything. Um, I've been working in radio broadcasting for a really, really long time. And, and I what what I like to tell people is because after I, after I tried to harm myself that day, I, uh, 
I actually went into the radio station and, and I talked about it. I talked about it because I wanted to maybe if there was an audience member or somebody out there that was going through what I was going through, maybe it could help. And, 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 and what I try to tell people is that you can't use anything that I use on the air because I willingly share that. Yes. Does it suck that stuff like that is sent to me? Yeah, it, 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 it does. But I, I've, I'm, I'm different than most people because if I share it on the air, I know that you can't use it to, against me, if that makes sense. Of course it makes sense. But unfortunately, there are many people, not only here in the United States, but that are online that, if I may say, their constitution, their what's called resilience, uh, their, their psychiatric, psychological conditioning doesn't afford them the ability, in a nutshell, they're hypersensitive. And even people that are not psychiatric, that just, you know, are distressed or financially here in the COVID, you know, mm -hmm. people, as, as I said, with odor, and again, for some reason online, people that are in heightened states of stress, depression, anger, and all the negative affect, uh, you know, representation are going to respond differently. Let's not take into consideration, Tuttle, I am a chief psychologist. We're called MN Psychological Services, PLLC. Yeah. And we are a series of psychologists and certified social workers that provide care to the, the chronically and seriously mentally ill. Mm -hmm. These are folks that are adults anywhere from their 40s on up to their 70s. And these are people that are access one, obviously, big pharma and medications involved. Yeah, I, I'm sorry? I, and and, and I, I wanted to stick on the topic, but I, I was going to wait to ask you that. But uh, since you brought it up, I'm going to ask, do you think we are over prescribed psychotropic drugs right now? Because I, I really do think that was what my problem was. I think we're over prescribed in the way that today, let's stick with psychiatrist, psychiatrist, and big mm -hmm. pharma. I don't necessarily think a, a per, at least the patients that I work with, again, we're looking at several hundred individuals for decades have been mm -hmm. floridly psychotic, so forth and so on. So the ones that we're treating, most of them are titrated correctly. Now, mind you, depending on the medical uh, pharmaceuticals they're taking and the psyche, you get side effects every now and then. Sometimes it needs to be titrated down and changes. But depending on the prescribing physician, of course, there are doctors that give far too much medication that they should. But then again, there's also doctors that are too conservative. So essentially, it all becomes down to the individual physician that is prescribing. Now, all right, so we've been, we've been talking about the victims. I, I want to talk a little bit about the predators themselves. Why do they do it? Do they get some type of sexual gratification from it? Do they like, is it, is it power? Uh, what, what, what drives these people to do this to other people? Well, let's just use one of the typologies, internet trolls. Okay. Uh, and as your, 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 your listeners know, the internet trolls go online 
and they get off and feel good about provoking you and flaming you via social media, all right? University of Manitoba back in 2014 did a huge study on internet trolls. And what they found was that internet trolls were at much higher rates of being Machiavellian, sadistic, psychopathic, and narcissistic. The sadistic, sadistic piece is sadistic, and please, for your listeners, don't sexualize to be sadistic. To be sadistic is enjoying the harm you fall up cause others. Narcissism is being self-absorbed, Machiavellian. The ends justify the means. And to be psychopathic, not a psychopath, we can talk about online psychopaths, but to be psychopathic is to feel no remorse, shame, or guilt for causing harm to others. So the but question it, is, it, are, are, are psychopaths unable to, to feel things like a normal person, though? Of course, the true psychopath, not remember, psychopathic okay. is a behavior. So to be psychopathic means you're behaving in a certain manner. But to be a psychopath, that is a person, a real person. And please understand to your to your listeners that most psychopaths are not serial killers. Okay. And many psychopaths are can be law-abiding citizens, but the true psychopath it does not experience remorse, guilt, or shame. Now, Tuttle, could you imagine what that would be like living your life without experience that triad of feeling? No, no, no. Now, and and I know we're getting off topic when it comes to online stuff, but um. I, I've always had this feeling and, and, and psychopaths are, are, you know, because I, that's one of the reasons I don't believe in karma because uh, bad things happen to really, really good people all the time and good things happen to people all the time. Um, are psychopaths like good businessmen? Like they don't care who they hurt, who they put out of business, who they fire, such and such, or is there any correlation to well, that? No, no, no. You're you're bringing up, including politicians too. What you're bringing, yeah, politicians, up of course, is the the assumption of what is called the the corporate psychopath, aka the white collar psychopath. And what that is is a person that has the characterological disorder of psychopathy, but they are are charismatic. They're affable. They know how to engage others. And many of them become successful businessmen and women. Some become politicians and some become, you know, like Jim Jones, some become leaders of cults. So now do our are, are psycho do psychopaths have egos? Uh well they have, well that oh that's a philosophical question. No, I, I I'm I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean no, I, it was no, just no. a question that popped into my you head. You can always catch me off guard. I love to be caught off guard. Is do they have egos? Of course they have egos. But depending on your 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 definition of what you believe the psychopath is, many believe the psychopath because it's a characterological disorder. Disorder. It's a false ego. It's not real. But if I'm a psychopath and you were to ask me, for instance, Jim Jones was a psychopath. Yeah, because he wanted to kill all the people and he didn't care uh, what what any harm it did. I mean, he didn't kill them, but they he. he, If you know about Jonestown, that was the last 
stop of his his, his uh, inevitable train wreck. But Jim Jones actually believed that he had a connection with God. Over history, we've had popes, we have had politicians, we have had you know people who actually thought that they were, if I may, holier and thou. Now, are they psychopaths? There's no way to really know, but. The psychopath believes that he or she is different and that all of us minions out here, we are objects to be manipulated. And is, that, it, is, it, is it almost like a God, God complex? Ooh, it, yes, it could be. Again, I, I, I could easily just say yes, but I'm going to say it could be, but not necessarily because... The, the psychopath is playing a grand chess game. So he or she is manipulating and, attention, and intending to control you, not because so much he's thinking he's God, because he's looking to achieve a goal, whatever that do psycho, goal is. Do, do psychopaths, are they smart? Do they have high IQs? Some, well, we can look at the, the proverbial Dr. Hannibal Lecter from the 1991 wonderful film called Silence of the Land, yeah. where he's an MD psychiatrist. So most certainly, so, you know, psychopaths can have very high, uh, you know, IQs and EQs, which is, uh, you know, emotional quotient, but they can also be dumb as a stump. So intelligence has nothing to do with being a psychopath. Again, the psychopath, it's a characterological disorder, just like uh, an access to personality disorder, but different. Are, are, is when people, are they born psychopaths? Is it genetics or is it nurture? Well, let's just go with, uh, you know, because years ago I went up, not the, it's called the psychopathic deviant scale. Dr. Robert Hare, for you know, your viewers who are, are interested, Dr. Robert Hare is considered one of the fathers uh, of psychopathy. And he created the psychopathic deviant scale. And what Robert Harris said, God bless him, is that anywhere at any given time, one to 3% of the population are psychopaths. So I had gone up to Toronto, not that I actually went through the certification because I didn't need it, but I wanted to learn about psychopathy. And again, the psychopath, and it's very hard for us mere mortals to know what it means Pedal, could you imagine, and again, I'll say it again, what it would be like not to feel remorse, guilt, yeah. or shame for what you do to others? The yeah, but psychopath can, can, really perceives that. Can, can, can I be honest, though? And, and sure. I'm not saying I want to be a psychopath, but there's a lot. And, and, and when, I'm, when I'm looking back at the career choices I've made and and things I didn't do where I could have screwed people over or I could have really like done something really bad to get ahead, but I didn't do it. But if I was one of those people that didn't care who I hurt or, or how it affected other people, I would be like so much further along in my career. Does that make sense or I, 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 what I'm trying to say? Well, of course it does, but I certainly wouldn't wish you or want you to be a psychopath. Could it be all of us could be more assertive? Could all of us be more, a little bit, if I use the word uh, insensitive at times? We could be, but at what cost, Tuttle? 
When you begin to move into that realm of thinking for yourself, not only are you increasingly becoming more narcissistic, but you're becoming, which I believe is directly related to becoming an eye predator, is becoming psychologically isolated. Now, to be isolated, I can sit with you, Tuttle, in Yankee Stadium, filled mm -hmm. to capacity. And if you are disenfranchised, you are angry, you are distressed, you can be psychologically isolated in a stadium full of fans. So psychological isolation is not physical isolation. Psychological isolation is between the ears. The more psychologically isolated we become, the more angry, the more distressed, and the more apt we are to engaging in self-destructive or destructive behaviors. All right. I, this, I got to take advantage of this question because this is something that I've always wondered for a very, very long time. Okay. okay. And we're talking about online stuff. Um, with the age of the internet, where you have access to seeing, because here in America, wouldn't you agree, us as Americans, yes, there's a lot of crime, there's, there's stuff that happens, but for the most part, compared to other countries, we don't have to see the horrors that, that happen in other countries. Do, do, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yes, I do. Okay, so, but now there's so many of these websites, um, you know, because me working in radio, uh, one of my first jobs was to just scour the internet looking for things to talk about. And there was a lot of stuff that I saw. Um, you know, I, I was an only child. I grew up in a small town. I didn't see a lot of bad stuff. Uh, I had a great childhood. Um, but one of the first videos that I saw that, what, do you remember Daniel Pearl, the, the yes, reporter whatever, yes, that, that ended up having his, he was Pearl. decapitated. That is correct. Do you think that the internet with, because there's like websites like um, uh, Chaotic, Best Gore, the YNC, mm -hmm. where you can go see that type of stuff. Do you think that there is a potential of a new generation of desensitized people that could lead to psychopaths? Not necessarily lead to psychopaths per se. Again, uh, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to get like too philosophical. No, or no, deep. no, please. But as you said before, we still don't know. Um, you asked the question before: Is the psychopath born through genetic inherited, or they made? I tend to believe it's a mixture of both. Okay. But you bring up an excellent point, Tuttle, is that as we become, all of us, more enveloped with information, communication, technology, the more time we spend online, what is happening, the less time we're spending offline with real people. Yeah. And the more that continues, the more, and I said it before, we become essentially disconnected. You know, when you think about what they say and all the marketing, advertising material, about in the early days about social media connecting us, if anything, it's a grand paradox because what's happening is it's causing us to become disconnected. So now I can be racist, I can be anti-Semitic, I can be as hateful as I want when I'm looking at a computer screen or talking to my iPhone as opposed to looking at you dead in the eyes. Why yeah. is that occurring? Because there is a device that is separating me from you. 
Yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to get too deep on that question. It's just something that I wondered because, you know, when I saw that first video, that that first shocking video in my radio broadcasting career, it, it, it really it really messed me up a little bit. Like it shook me for a couple of days. But now with everything that you're seeing online now, it's like it's like, eh, second. Does that make sense? Like it makes because. If I may, what you're bringing up is just like the grand argument, do, do violent video games inspire violence in children and adults? No, I don't the think answer, it does. It doesn't, but it does if that child or that adult has a propensity or is wired to engage in violence, of course, it's going to increase the probability, but it's certainly not causal. It's the same thing. So when an individual goes online and they're able to, to experience, exchange, discuss, and learn about violent material, which they wouldn't have seen in a pre-information age, is it going to increase the probability of becoming violent? No, but if they already have a propensity towards violence, well, then it most certainly can increase the probability. Can can I ask you, and you might not know, but like, why why do people search out those type of things on the internet? Are are they getting sexual gratification? Are they wanting to expose themselves? Because we do, as Americans, kind of live a little bit of a sheltered life uh, compared to other countries. Okay, that's a, that's another great question, and I'm not paying to actually ask you that. I, I, I wrote a concept which is available at the website called Dark Psychology back in 2006. And what that is, is what I call is the study and the exploration of the dark side of human consciousness. My predator mm -hmm. happens to be the information age, dark side of human consciousness. And what you're asking me, which I've talked about, is... Part of the human condition is the, the fascination with the macabre. Why do people slow down when they go? Can you say, wait, 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 sorry. I'm not like talking bad about my audience, but uh, can you can you explain what macabre is? Uh, of people? Macabre would be blood and guts, uh, okay. violence, aggression. And the example would be is it's been proven that when people on the highway are passing, uh, an automobile crash or rubberneckers, rubberneckers, they slow down. Now, is it that they're sadistic enjoyment? No, there's a fascination with the macabre, whether it's watching, you know, binge watching law and order, watching videos uh, of war and death, because again, this is only my belief is it is part of self-preservation internally, unconsciously. The fascination comes and the curiosity of the violence is because it, in essence, it helps. Are you us. trying to learn? Exactly, Tuttle. I wish more people could understand what you just said. Exactly. No, 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 no. But, 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 you know, like I, here, I'll give you an example. A lot of people think I'm crazy when I say this is that, you know, we, we talk about life expectancy, you know, getting higher and higher and higher because of medical advancements. But, I also think it plays in part to history. We we do not play we don't pay enough attention to history because history you learn from the mistakes of the people before you. Correct. And if you don't learn, obviously, as we know, the old adage, history repeats itself. So, uh, of course, 
But getting back to what you were bringing before, particularly when it comes online, that people who are drawn to the violence, to the, the awful, to the depraved, do some of them suffer from psychiatric illness? Yes. Are some of them pedophiles and perverted? Yes. But those that are going that are expressing <coughs> curiosity, what that really is, is the unconscious way of learning to be able to protect oneself. Now, all right. So, oh man, there's so many questions I could say here because I, I find the human brain so fascinating. I do too, man. Um, now a lot of people, you know, us as humans, we think that we're so much high and mighty than, than, than other species. I mean, but when, if you break it down, we are nothing but animals, correct? I mean, we are a part of the animal kingdom. Now you're, you're talking about psychopaths. Do, do you think a lion feels bad about when he, when he tracks down a gazelle and kills and eats it? No. Um, can you correlate online predators to real life predators? I mean, not, is there any not, connection? Not at all. And I, thank you. And I, every other day I disseminate through social media, public domain, educational images to create awareness. There is a, there is night and day, the predator, let's just say the lion, uh, stalks, attacks, consumes its prey. Uh, why? For they got to survive to survive, not only for themselves, but for their young through territory and procreation. The online child predator, Tuttle, what is he, sometimes she, but what is he doing? He is feeding a perverse capacity for molesting children. It doesn't serve self-preservation. It doesn't yeah. serve survival. What it serves is a sick fantasy that he has that has gone from psychologically between the ears to now putting it into action. And that is the difference between a lion, which is a predator, or a mm. praying mantis, and an online child predator. Black and white, night and day. I, 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 and, and I knew, I knew, but I just wanted to ask because, you know, we For talk sure. about online predators and real, you know, like lions, predators that have to be predators because they need to survive. Um, right. And if might real quickly for your, yeah. for your listeners, if you want to know if you're an eye predator, it's very simple. I've got three criteria. You're welcome. Okay. Not believe me. Number one is the use of information communication technology to harm, target, steal from, molest another online user. We're in the information age that is straightforward. Number two, which is a little bit harder to understand, but it's having a self-awareness. So if I know that I'm doxing you, Tuttle, with the express goal of getting you fired or getting your show shut down, I have a self-awareness of causing you harm. I'm using information technology, aka, let's say, social media. I am aware and knowing that I'm trying to hurt you. And then third is the use, the development, and the implementation of what I call cyber stealth. Now, cyber stealth is, I don't want to say necessarily toolbox, but it is the development of a strategy Either, Tuttle, I don't want you to know it's Dr. Nuccitelli who's targeting you. So yeah. I develop a strategy where you think I'm Bob Smith from three states over, 
that could be cyber stealth. Or I could use cyber stealth for assuming that I may be identified and apprehended. So now what do I need plausible deniability? Also as part of cyber stealth, I want to be able to get minions and other folks that are going to support for why I moved to have your show shut down. That is cyber stealth. So if you fit those three criteria, you are an iPredator. Dr. Mike, I I got to have you on again because, like I said, I, I could sit here and talk to you for a while. I hope uh, the questions that I asked today were 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 good. You know, when I, whenever I have somebody on that that is established as you are, I never want to sound like an idiot. So I, I hope the questions were okay today. Oh, I thought you were you're actually going to get off this. <laughs> I have to Google some stuff again to think about because now you've got me again. No, no, you're, you're a great host. And thank you for having me on. I just hopefully I could, you know, impart a little bit of information to, you, to your viewers and your listeners. Now, and Dr. Maybe, Mike, Dr. Yeah. Mike, before you go, tell people if they want to be able to read more about uh, the content that you're putting out there, trying to make people aware of online predators. Where they where can they find you? Well, they can go to iPredator either .org, .net, or .co. No M after the CO. iPredator.co. And please know uh, all of the information I've, I've authored and created is public domain. It's educational. The 28 assessments, the checklist and inventories, you can download them in PDF dealing with cyberstalking cyberbullying, cybercrime, you don't even have to give your email address. All I ask are for folks that visit my website, and you don't have to like my stuff, <laughs> yeah. trying to encourage others to think about basic online safety. And most, most importantly, I didn't come up with the concept, digital citizenship, how to conduct oneself online. Hey, Dr. Mike, one, one, one last question, and then, then I got I to gotta go. But uh, why did this become something important to you? Were, did you know somebody? Were you a victim uh, of, of this passionate uh, thing that you're wanting to talk about? No, no. I, real quickly, I was heavily trolled. Anybody can read Troll Triad or even mm -hmm. Predatory Troll. But that was three years after I wrote I Predator. Remember, as I said, back in 2006, originally I worked in the, in the courts. After I got my doctor degree, I've always had a fascination with the study, whether from being from religious evil or in the non-religious psychopathy. I've always been interested in understanding the dark side. I'm also a Pink Floyd fan. So I've always had that, uh, that passion to learn about it. And I realized very early on, once cyberspace started to grow, I realized, well, if I'm a criminal, uh, a pervert, or the depraved, where better to go than cyberspace where I can hide behind a computer screen? All right, Dr. Mike, man, I want to have you on again. And, and I really, really appreciate your time. I thought this was a great conversation. Oh, thank you. All right, Dr. Mike, have a good day, okay? Thank you, folks.